Hello, you're listening to the Red Dirt Nation podcast. My name's Warren Crank, and I'm here with Amanda Bethel, and she is going to share a bit of her story. Her, she and her husband, John, live in Port Augusta, and we're going to be hearing a little bit about what Port Augusta's like recently. But I just want to say that we're in Adelaide, the lovely Adelaide, and having our conversation um, in a church at West Beach. So shout out to the church that's sort of been hosting us for this, this uh, conference that we're at. Anyway, Amanda, tell us a little bit about uh, your family situation. Yep, so I'm married to um, John. He's a POM. Uh, he's been in Australia nearly half his life now. Uh, we have uh, two kids, Jeremiah, who's nearly 16, and Annabelle, who's 12, going on about 15. Uh, and we've been in Port Augusta for nine years. Nine years, that's a good haul. And we're going to talk a bit about um, you know what, what it's like to live and work in a town over that time. But tell us a little bit, Amanda, about Port Augusta itself. Some reflections from your perspective on the town and even the region. Yeah, so Port Augusta's a um, reasonably poor town. It's um, a bit over three hours drive from Adelaide. Um, there's a bit of a joke in um, people in Port Augusta. We say that, you know, South Australia ends north of Jepps Cross for the people who live in Adelaide and it's much further to drive to Port Augusta than it is to drive from Port Augusta to Adelaide. Country people will relate to that, I'm sure. Um, it's as a, a low socioeconomic um, town in general. Uh, it's got an uh, Indigenous population of around 15 or more percent. Um, and the traditional sort of uh, industries were people working on the railways. Um, so it was a big loss a few years ago when the railways were privatised. A lot of people lost their jobs. Our other big industry was um, power generation. We had a really big um, coal-fired power station that um, both provided employment but also pollution. So there's been some really mixed feelings around that power station. But the coal ran out a few years ago and that closed as well. So it's been a town that's had a lot of loss. Um, and it's also a town where there's uh, a bunch of Indigenous people who are living there who are displaced and all the other sort of um, uh, intergenerational traumas and things like that that go along with that. And it's a town whose nickname in South Australia for years was Port Agutta, um, which uh, really is, you know, some people think that's funny even locals and other people like me think it's really offensive, um, especially when it's coming from somebody who's never actually bought a coffee in the town um, and that they but and they wouldn't because they've heard that. Um, and uh, yeah, that, so that it's been it's a really interesting place to come and live. It's got a um, uh, the other big industries now actually probably the biggest employers would be the hospital uh, where I work uh, and also the jail. Hospital and jail. There you go. And um, so if you were visiting Port Augusta, what would you visit or have a look at? Um, is it also sort of a gateway place for other travel? Uh, yes. Well, Port Augusta is the uh, crossroads of Australia. And uh, we have a bridge that looks like it's over a river, but it's actually over the Spencer Gulf uh, that, go, that divides the town in two. Uh, and that bridge is named after our previous mayor, Joy Belouche. And on her business card, she had Joy Belouch, uh, Mayor of Port Augusta, Centre of the Universe. So as well as being a town that's been, uh, you know, beaten down, we have a lot of pride as well. Um, uh, so Port Augusta, we've got a beautiful foreshore that's been uh, renovated. We've got the Australian Arid Lands Botanic Garden with the biggest collection of Eremophila in Australia. 
beautiful. Um, uh, we've got a really uh, groovy tourist information centre. There's places you can visit with the history of uh, railways in the area. And we're right next door to the um, iconic Flinders Ranges. Beautiful. So we're encouraging people to get out and about. And if you can travel uh, to visit towns and maybe spend some money there and encourage the community. So Port Augusta is a place to visit in itself, but also it's obviously a gateway place for other travels you might go on. So check it out when you're next in this part of the world. Well, you've mentioned you work at the hospital. You, you have, you're a local GP there. Tell us a little bit about your practice and how long you've been doing that and what that's like to do in a place like Port Augusta. So um, it's an interesting gig. So Port Augusta um, has a, is a town that's historically uh, found it hard to attract Australian-trained GPs, um, and that's become increasingly so over the years. Uh, however, uh, government policy changed in the last few years, and uh, it was also impossible to attract overseas-trained doctors as well. So we've gone from a situation where we had probably just enough GPs in town to definitely not enough um, and and at the same time, a federal government who thought we had enough, so weren't going to support us in that. So part of my um, role in, you know, I wouldn't have called myself a political person before I went there, but um, I have become a p political person in trying to advocate for what our town needs um, in all sorts of spaces. Um, it's uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, illness there as well, both mental illness and. Um, one of our claims to fame in Port Augusta at times has been we're the most obese uh, town in the state. Um, so, yeah, lots of problems. There's a significant number of people who are affected by drugs and alcohol as well. So there's plenty of work to do um, and not enough people to do the work. So. Okay, so um, you, you're obviously under some stress there. The... Um, would you like to encourage other people who have medical abilities to come there? And what, what would be a, a great reason uh, for them to, you know, use their expertise in Port Augusta? So it actually baffles me why we don't have all sorts of uh, doctors in Australia wanting to come to Port Augusta. It offers um, lots, as I said, there's lots of disease there that you can um, practice on. It's a, a town where people will feel needed. It's a town where people will feel welcome. Um, and for for general practitioners, it's really a choose your own adventure. So if you are a GP and all you like to do is do office general practice, you can do that. Sometimes you can't. Uh, if you would like to also do aged care, you can. If you want to work at Headspace, you can. If you want to do just emergency medicine, but not the rest of hospital medicine, you can. Uh, and if you want to have inpatients and look after them, you can. So it's it's got the full gamut of um, options. Um, uh, as a GP, and we also have our hospital is well supported with other specialists. So it's not a place where you have to be able to do you know, a jack of all trades, um, you can pick a few. So you might be listening in your um, in university at the moment, um, getting ready for your medical degree or whatever, something to consider in being part of a great region and forging your career out in the regions. Be very satisfying work. Now, you're very shy about this, Amanda, but you have won some awards recently. And though you would not, not necessarily like to tell us about them, I would like you to. So could you just tell us what they were? 
So in um, 2017, a good friend of mine nominated, nominated me for the Australian General Practitioner of the Year Award. And I like to point out when people talk, do ask me about it, that it wasn't the Rural General Practitioner of the Year, it was the Australian General Practitioner of the Year. So I beat all the city people as well. Uh, one of my friend's sons asked when he heard about that, does that mean that she had the least patients die or what? <laughs> so it was actually uh, an award that acknowledged both um, quality general practice but also community involvement. So, so the award was recognising some uh, the our um, Simple Church had uh, organised a group called the Mon Monthly Multicultural Meal. So that was a way of our um, church group trying to connect with our community. We didn't have a um, migrant resource centre in our town. We did have a population of um, immigrants from various cultures that didn't have anywhere other in particular to connect. And so we provided a space uh, where the idea was everybody brings a meal from their particular culture for lunch and we all share each other's meals and then uh, then we would have a cooking demonstration on how to cook one of those things. And so, it was, yeah, it was a really great um, way to share that. And then the award also recognised my political stuff and advocacy that I'd been involved with as well. Well, we want to add our congratulations. Uh, that's such a, a great honour to have received such an award. You're listening to the Red Dirt Nation podcast and I'm interviewing Amanda Bethel, who is a medico in the Port Augusta area. And uh, we're hearing a little bit of her story today. Now, in the past, you and John, your hubby, have hosted a simple church in a smaller sort of town. And I'd love to sort of hear a little bit about that, why you did that and what it was like. We, um, in the time that we'd been together, had been reading uh, different books and listening to different people and, and thinking ourselves about this idea that uh, a church as a group of people who meet inside a specialised building with an employed um, pastor and a program maybe isn't the only way to be church together. We didn't think it was necessarily a bad way, but we didn't think it was the only way. Uh, and as we moved to Port Augusta, we recognised that there were half a dozen or so um, churches of that shape already in the town. And we also recognised that there were probably, you know, they, they probably covered maybe 500 or 1,000 of the people there. So that left 13 or 14,000 people who wouldn't step into those buildings. And we wanted to try and explore another way of meeting that might be accessible to those people who wouldn't go to those buildings. Very good. Now, um, did, was there uh, preaching like we would expect at a normal church? Was it Bible discussion? Did you have meals together? How did you sort of roll doing this uh, simple sort of church? We had um, young kids at the time, so we had a few values that we wanted to or things that we were trying to do to figure out, because we had no idea, so, but to figure out how we would go about this. So one of them was we wanted to, we really felt that uh, we, we resonated with the idea of the priesthood of all believers and that when people gather together, they learn more and get more out of that experience if they are able to participate in some meaningful way. So we divided our time then into what we called creative time, discussion time and meal time. So creative time was intentionally accessible to everybody um, and everyone was kind of expected to, to 
participate. So if we were playing a game of hide and seek, then all of the, uh, the adults and the children would be doing that. If we were painting, same. And if we were drawing in the sand or whatever it is. And so we really tried to take um, parables or ideas and act them out or draw them or live them in some way. And we had, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I remember we, one time we, I think we just told the story of um, Jesus calling the disciples from the boat using a kid's storybook. And uh, one of the little children, who was about five, said, you know, if we were going to, if we were going to, you know, go fishing for people with Jesus. It's a big net. We're going to need some people to help us. You know, we're going to need a team, you know, and just profound things like that, that, you know, a child can teach you if you give them a space to be heard. That's great. So you're a doctor in a town. You're a person of faith. You you were part of, uh, started really a simple church. We've got a lot of people who listen who come from small towns. What are some of the challenges being not just a person of faith, but being a general practitioner, so you know a lot of people in that professional sense, but also have to sort of relate as an ordinary person too. So what are some of the challenges around that? Um, I guess everybody knows in towns that everybody knows everybody else. Uh, and so in some ways that means you can't hide. Um, and uh, in some ways you kind of need to hide, I suppose. But um, it, you know the classic of going to the supermarket and people stopping you. Um, sometimes that might mean I send my husband to the supermarket. Um, the As a, a doctor who's also wanting to plant a church, um, there are obviously, particularly in Australia, but in general, um, legal and ethical um, boundaries that I've got to respect. Um, so whilst my faith informs my work as a doctor, uh, it doesn't necessarily get spoken about uh, in my practice. Um, and that's something that Port Augusta is, has been uh, affected by in the past. And so I have been especially careful there, more perhaps than I might have in another place. Okay, so some of you are professional people practicing in a town somewhere, and we just want to acknowledge that sometimes it's trickier than people think uh, to be a person with a private life, uh, professional life and, and, you know, life of faith over all of that. So I guess it's great to hear from Amanda some of the real challenges that that can provide. Well, you've been a GP for a long time, but there are changes ahead. We'd love to hear about what's next for you from a professional perspective. So I, um, after nine years, that's actually a long time to be looking after a a particular group of people and uh, honestly I've had uh, three years in a row now almost burnout uh, in my general practice work uh, so I we thought about that as a family was that a sign that we've been there and done that for Port Augusta and we should move on or was it a sign that we should stay in Port Augusta but um, something has to change so I've uh, made the decision difficult decision to um, finish at the general practice clinic that I'm at um, and I'm going to work for the Flying Doctors uh, which is very glamorous and exciting as it sounds but I think it'll also be um, you know also sometimes boring and hard work but uh, but I'm really looking forward to the um, you know, the different sort of space that will place me in the town. So if you know anything about Australian history you'll know how crucial the role of the Flying Doctors has been and continues to be. Some people probably easily forget if we live in the cities or on the coast, 
how far many Australians are from a medical practice. And so Flying Doctors do an awesome job. Tell us a little bit about the work of Flying Doctors generally. I mean, you don't have to be an expert on it, obviously, Amanda, but um, what do you know and what attracted you to practicing, you know, with such a, a movement with a great history in this country? Um, as a teenager, I uh, heard about the Flying Doctors and, uh, in fact, from the TV show. That's one of the reasons I became a doctor. And uh, I also I was attracted to the um, history of it, that it was started by uh, a uh, now Uniting Church missionary, John Flynn. So that, uh, that's one of the attractions. I read his biography last year. Uh, and it's really, we went to the Flying Doctors Museum uh, last year in Queensland, Cloncurry, thank you. Um, and again, really interesting to see that uh, how the organisation started. And actually, it initially started more as a surgical service, um, but now it is uh, both a primary care service, so a general practice service to far flung places, with, uh, and many of those people would be Indigenous people, uh, and also an emergency medicine service. So my role will be a mixture of being flown out to communities to do GP type stuff. Uh, also talking on the phone, doing phone consults, which is pretty normal these days, but used to be, you know, very out there. Uh, and also uh, hopping in the plane to provide support to the uh, flight nurses if they need it for a more sick person. Okay, and the, and the part of the service that you're joining, what sort of area do they cover, generally speaking? Uh, so there is a base in Adelaide as well. So the Adelaide base would cover Adelaide and south of Adelaide. And then we cover uh, north of Adelaide to almost all of south, the rest of South Australia. So the um, Alice Springs has a flying doctor base as well. And they do the very northern part of South Australia, but we do the rest. Wow. So that's a, an adventure ahead. And we want to shout out to the flying doctor service. And encourage you to give actually if some of you um have the means this is definitely a worthy cause to be contributing to so you can go to their website and uh there's a way to donate there we're listening to the amazing amanda bethel who is uh, medico based out of port augusta soon to be part of the flying doctor service you're listening to the red Dote nation podcast now what i'm wondering from you is um, where have you been in Australia that has really blown you away? What's a, a place that you found very memorable? Good time to ask because we took three months off last year and uh, travelled, did the did the loop. Um, luckily, last year and not this year. Um, so I remember my husband uh, several times during our trip. He would say, uh, "Oh, I've never been somewhere so as beautiful as this." And then a week later, "I've never been somewhere so beautiful as this." So uh, one place would have been some of the gorges in El Questro. Um, some places were places we'd been before. Um, we spent some time living in Alice Springs, and it was at a really amazing spiritual feeling driving in, seeing the um, McDonald Ranges approach um, as we uh, went there. Um, uh, and then again, as we were coming back home, um, driving sort of past Arkarula and, and the very northern Flinders Ranges again, really that um, I. I I have no idea when people talk about their connect, when Aboriginal people talk about their connection with country, really. But I just got a glimpse of it uh, in those times of driving through that country there. Partly because I guess that's the sort of country we've been living in now for a big chunk of our lives. But um, but yeah, that really not only this looks beautiful, but there's something I feel about it as well. 
and we pay our respects to the custodians, original ones who are on this land where we're doing the recording, but also all the places we've just been talking about. We really uh, honor uh, the First Nations people. What about um, your hopes and dreams for Australia as we move forward? Um, we've all got, I guess, different dreams, but what are yours? What are your hopes for this great Southland in which we live? I think that, I guess one of my big hopes and dreams is that we would sort out our doctor shortage problem in the country, I've got to say that. Um, you know, we really, we actually now have apparently too many doctors in Australia, having spent uh, 20 years importing them from overseas and training more of our own. Uh, but there's a massive maldistribution. So we've got many, many uh, more than we need in the cities and just not enough in the country, um, which, you know, my job would be easy and if we had enough people, but we don't, so that's hard. Uh, and then I think we need to keep on working towards um, working towards and beyond reconciliation um, of Aboriginal people t to us to non-Aboriginal people and within ourselves. Wow, I couldn't agree more with that. That's that's fantastic. Now we're wrapping up this talk, and um, one of the questions I often ask the people we interview is, if there was one sort of wisdom drop you'd like to give those of us who are listening in something to help us along in our life what would that be amanda so i'm somebody who's got a lot of training and experience and i'm pretty independent um and uh, what i've learned over the last few years is actually even competent and independent people need to ask for help uh, and if you're stuck in a situation that you're getting the same uh banging your head against the wall uh, sometimes the right decision is to stay, sometimes it's to go, but something needs to change and, and, uh, and encourage people to get some help to figure that out. That's great. So if you're listening in and you're feeling stuck, um, there are people you can reach out to, maybe some wisdom people in your life or some people who are trained in counselling and those sorts of things. And if it's something that's really heavy for you at the moment and uh, you're feeling like you're uh, even a threat to yourself, uh, we really encourage you to contact Lifeline. They do a fantastic job there. Well, we've been listening to Amanda Bethel, who is a medico based out of Port Augusta. It's been great to hear her story. This is the Red Dirt Nation podcast, and I want to really thank you for listening in. Hope you go well, and we'll talk again down the track. <laughs>